Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, just a word of warning. Oh, you're a mess, aren't you? I'm not very tall either. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Hello, welcome to Bums on Seats. It's Saturday, it's one o'clock, so if you're listening on Sunday, it's probably two o'clock for you, and Lord knows what time it is if you're on iTunes. But today we've got Mark with us. And can I just say it's marvellous to be here today. Oh, welcome back. Marvel-us. I got that. Rosie just got that. Okay. <laughs> we, got, we got Dave. Afternoon. No joke, Dave. No. Okay. Lorcan. Hello. And Rosie. Hi. And we're talking about Captain Marvel. Well done. Thank that you. That was hilarious. Can I have a gold star, please? Yes. Um, fighting with my family, which is about my now fema- first female... Wait, I'm trying to say now my first favourite female wrestler of all time. She used to be my second favourite, but she's overtaken Nikki Bella now because Paige is probably the greatest of all time. The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, which is just off of Netflix, not in any cinemas. And The Aftermath. And if we're going to have time for it we're going to squeeze in a little chat about free solo and border but i doubt it because these guys are going to talk about captain marvel for about 40 minutes here's the trailer i keep having these memories something in my past is the key to all of this would you like to know what you really are I think I had a life here. What aren't you telling me? You've come a long way, but you're not as strong as you think. This war is just the beginning. I'm not gonna fight your war. I'm gonna end it. So if you're listening to us live on Saturday, you might have just heard Ollie off of the football show explain that Captain Marvel does a half Nelson. And Rosie, you get the the joke. So it's directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. And between them, they wrote and directed half Nelson. And I was a bit surprised to hear that because that's a really sort of gritty indie film. And this is a flashy superhero film though yeah it's interesting I didn't know that but I could kind of see some of that in it watching it because um it did have quite um, I think especially when it opens it has quite a dark grittier film than some of the other Marvel Mm. films and some of the other superhero films I've seen um and that kind of fits with the era it's set in the kind of 90s and there's a lot of grunge references and her character's Mm. got that sort of 90s bad girl vibe about her which I enjoyed I thought um yeah you could definitely see it had there was quite some tonally darker vibes to it than some of the other Marvel films if you compare it to something like Ant-Man for example which was much more kind of cartoony they're all the same to me (laughs) Um, but you mentioned there was sort of a 90s vibe and I know we've got um, Dave musical score guy in in the studio but tune wise oh man well what a soundtrack full of banger after banger I absolutely loved it I mean it was just like listening to my personal playlist because I'm slightly obsessed with 90s songs anyway but um, (laughs) it just really set the scene and I really liked the way they used 90s references um, because it wasn't too full on it was wasn't over the top um but 
it really fitted with the whole kind of vibe of her character. Um, so they had like Republica and Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana and that kind of thing. And yeah, mm-hmm. it was great. So did the slight setting change and era change and musical change and direction and writing change take you out of what the rest of you think should be a Marvel film? Yeah. Big um, fan of the normal superhero stuff, Lorcan. By normal, I mean I think, lads, uh, lads, lads. Typically, I mean, I always, <laughs> I always look for story and how the story is told visually. Um, I think, I think it was like Kevin Feige said, like before Doctor Strange came out, that he, uh, they weren't going to make any more origin stories, and then they said, okay, Doctor Strange is going to be the very last origin story. And now we're so deep <laughs> into the Avengers saga that this feels like such a tremendous backstep to go. Um, back to an origin story and back to the Tesseract, which everyone was sick of, like, eight or, seven or eight years ago. Um, <laughs> everyone was gasping in the cinema when they said about the Tesseract. Savage. Really? Sorry, I didn't, know what, I didn't know what it was. Is that now nostalgic? <laughs> Is the Tesseract going full circle? Everyone was like... <gasps> and it's its own nostalgia. <laughs> um, I, think, I think, but for me, I think I've, I really strongly dislike the film. I think... Oh, straight in there. Within the, first, <laughs> within the first five minutes, you know, you can pinpoint the exact structure of the entire thing um and it's it is for me it was just two hours of painful repetitive exposition and uh just some funny jokes coming from the other side guys are we are we thinking the same everyone agrees with Lorcan, right i don't know no no no, 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 no. okay the, the the case for the defense of captain marvel uh I, I do think that it you know, there, there is a limited scope within what you can do within Marvel movies because the kind of expectation, the kind of universe they set. But actually, this this is trying to, to break certain moulds. Um, you know, we, we're going back to a time before uh, any of the previous Marvel movies. Yeah, we haven't actually said what happens in this really yet, have we? <laughs> so so it, is, it is set in the mid-90s. Uh, uh, we have this character, Verse, played by Brie Larson, who uh, is uh, involved in an intergalactic war between the Kree and the Skrulls, who are a race of, of shape changes they can impersonate other people and during the battle she ends up crash landing on a planet which we know as Earth and runs into Samuel L. Jackson Nick Fury uh, looking very much like he did in Pulp Fiction Jurassic Park kind of era and it's my favourite kind they become <laughs> a, a, a sort of unbeatable buddy you know it, it has a, a weird sort of somebody described it on the, online as the, the long kiss goodnight if you want a sidekick Samuel L. Jackson movie and you, you're feeling that need for that this will fulfil it completely and it, it, it is it's a throwback in many ways I'm of the age now where I, I rely on nostalgia regular feeds of nostalgia to be able to to, to get through the day um, and this this just pushes all the nostalgia buttons you know I I know we saw it in the trailer but just crash landing in a blockbuster video just ticks loads of boxes oh, I love that I can't bit. help it I thought it was perfect as I well. saw a really good advert featuring two quite famous TV housewives that's not in their actual film is it no never mind without trying to sort of dominate let, let me let me say that this film it's been 21 films into the Marvel Universe now, and finally we get a female solo lead character. And in terms of ticking the box in that sense, I can't speak as a woman, uh, but I do think it, it does what it needs to do on that, and it tells a story which gets us to the right place in that and makes her an important character in this universe. If I was to, to pick forward with two things, I think it would be some of the visual style. There's a, a, a French Connection-style car chase at the beginning where Samuel Jackson is weaving about underneath a train, and it, you, you do feel the directors don't quite have a handle on how they wanted that to look. Uh, and the pacing of the story, I think it, the, the second half of the film is great in terms of pacing. The first half is, is a bit of a sludge of exposition while we try and sort of meet some of these characters. But ultimately, it's one of those films where I, I enjoyed certain parts while I was watching it and then saw it as a whole when it had finished and really enjoyed it. Oh, but is it 
relying on the fact that we've got a girl in the lead, so it doesn't really have to try too hard. So are we in? So Rosie, I know you were saying that something about there's a new era of female representation in superhero films in this kind of these kind of universes yeah i mean for me i don't know i think you know as a as a woman um as a know, female person as a female person you know <laughs> i mean i can only really compare this to wonder woman in terms of you know female superhero lead it character. can't be as bad as that surely um <laughs> well i i actually i think i probably preferred it to that i what mm. i liked about it was i mean for example the way she fights i love the way that she fights is just punching things with her fists well, she trained this, properly yeah, didn't she yeah but it's really brutal and it's quite punchy you know it's not mm. like you know I've seen a lot of films where the female assassin will be some sort of very it's a bit street martial fighter. artist and it's always high kicks yeah but this is much more like you know real um, kind of powerful and uh, yeah I, I mean I, I enjoyed you know there's a bit when you mentioned the blockbuster video scene when she crash lands uh, she shoots a cardboard cutout of a sort of James Bond character with a glamorous woman on his arm and she shoots right through the woman's head and I thought that was very on the nose but I enjoyed it. it it's actually true lies for those people that are old enough to remember uh, the, the James Cameron film. I couldn't film. quite see what it was but I thought that was clever and I, I liked that kind of thing. I mean for me I, I enjoyed it very much and actually I thought the plotting was good. Maybe I haven't watched enough Marvel films. Maybe if you watch a lot of Marvel films then you can see what's coming but for me I was like mm. oh twist didn't see anything. <laughs> That's interesting <laughs> though because I, I can never follow which universe I mean I don't know who anyone is is, you said there's like a silvery green person in this too because I remember yes. the big purple one from the last thing we did with the knuckles and the green lady from yes. last time as well yeah, you get a <laughs> whatever that blue one lady was <laughs> okay it's so exciting for you actually I can only imagine <laughs> but th that's good to know so if this is a standalone film that you would enjoy possibly more if you didn't have that many expectations about this universe then I mean there's a lot of little good. references to things where I thought mm. oh if I was part I'm of sure this club I something. think I would know that that was really funny I can and clever. feel the wind going over my head yeah. <laughs> the agents of shield I, I'm dimly aware that that's a thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> and they're all there and There's some a thing way. or some kind of thing. But didn't we... So a lot of the things that a, a couple of you have said that you liked, didn't we hate or at least rib films like Ready Player One for just chucking nostalgic Easter eggs at us? Why is it okay for here? I mean, this time around, it, it feels different. Like Lorcan said, they've, they've done... I'm not going to say a, a full step back. I'm going to say half a step back by going back to an origin story. But... I actually quite enjoy the origin movies that they're putting out there now a lot more. They did it differently with Spider-Man Homecoming because we've already met him. He kind of drops into Civil War. You don't have any real explanation. With this one, we're actually getting a bit more of the backstory on the character. And this one actually compares to me as my favourite origin story next to Captain America because okay. they've taken them and they've put them into different times, different universes, where they're separated from the other characters, so they really do have to stand alone. And that was always something I found to be a struggle with the, you know, the Hulk films. Iron Man pops in at the end in cameos and that. The, the references we've got here, there is a bit of cross-contamination with the original Avengers arc, as Lorcan said, the Tesseract shows up again. Right, what's that? That's the shiny blue thing. From what? It's a blue cube that shines. All right. It goes in the glove thing. Like the suitcase in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, cool. pretty much. Roger. <laughs> it, it was it was the thing which Loki used to get his power in the Avengers, or Avengers Assemble, as we got forced to call it in this country, which I'm still bitter about. Loki with the hair? Tom Hiddleston. Is it one okay. of the things that goes in the glove? One of the five jewels? They broke it apart to put <gasps> one of the jewels guy. in the glove. The purple guy? Yes. Da, 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 da. Got it. Okay. 
Still it, not going to watch it. Yeah, it has been in about <laughs> half the Marvel movies. I, as I was leaving the cinema uh, on, late on or early on Friday morning, I could hear people behind me explaining the history of this thing to each other. And these are people who have clearly been to all 20 previous Marvel movies, but even they struggled a bit to go... With this? Well, because, because you're getting a bit of its history. We know what happened to it in the distant past, and we know what happened to it through the Marvel movies, but then everyone tries to rationalise. So you've got like a, a potted history of a blue cube throughout, throughout you know, hundreds of years, and everyone's <laughs> trying to make sense of it. And it's probably a little bit much, you know, that it is going to start to get to a point where you have to see these movies. You can't miss one because you'll yeah, miss something you can't which, enjoy which feeds in. But so, back to the beginning. <laughs> this has just kind of been plucked out of thin air. They decided to tell this part of the Captain Marvel story for any particular reason, do we think? Or is it just because 90s are due a comeback and there's a girl that we can use? I think so. It's there kind of most clever way they can think of to somehow insert her into the Avengers storyline. Right. After Avengers Infinity War, you know, they need a big hero, someone who can actually come along and save everyone. Ah, uh, because everyone got the dust thing happened or whatever yeah. happened, right? It, it, it's beyond spoiler territory now. Oh, so. right. <laughs> there, there was a dust thing. Everyone who There's dust in everyone's knows. daily life. Lorcan, have you got a more see, cynical reason? See, I, think, I, think, <laughs> I think it's the laziest thing they could do. They didn't know how to introduce this character, so they know everyone's fishing for any tidbits for Endgame and I think a lot of people will go see this film this, people will automatically go see this film no matter what it was about or who the character was just to get any tidbits and uh, the most damning um. thing is that there is actually I mean I would, I would say there might not be it might not be worth seeing if you are looking for lots of Endgame bits and pieces okay. uh, and whenever I say like the film is the film's derivative and like as soon as it started it's incredibly obvious what everyone's motivations are and where everything's going to go it doesn't do the usual it doesn't entirely do the usual Marvel thing of people say a lot of the Marvel stories uh, are just especially the origin stories are just Iron Man again there's a little bit of that um, but it's mostly derivative of just every YA movie mixed with uh, like just really bad 90s thrillers. And is that because we've got a girl in it and because we've got indie writers and I, directors I think, they've made I it think, into a little I think the young adult fest? Something that stood to me very strongly was that the editing both scene to scene and within scenes was quite poor right. uh, and I think it is a case of these two directors maybe got in a bit over their heads and they, they, yeah. they, they stuck to a simple story that they knew they could follow easily and I think they may have got lost in the editing process and filming yeah. all of these different things there's so many little bits where characters I feel like kind of teleported to different places and just uh, the sequencing it kind of got, reminded me a little bit of um the ending of Phantom Menace we've got all of these plot threads and they're edited not very Bam. well together yeah. and it's quite confusing it's like oh five minutes left let's go uh, and that 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 for me that poor editing uh, a massive impact of that is the tone the tone is so often very bizarre especially with the humor um, that they right. there's serious scenes where they just awkwardly inject humor yeah, that, that just I falls agree. flat and it's so strange so maybe yeah, we changed too much altogether so we've changed the sort of era we're used to we've changed the sort of writer director we're used to and we've got a very famous female actress carrying the whole film so it's just a bit go 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 maybe it felt like someone had said when we do Marvel films we have a lot of uh, wittier sides and <laughs> quick pants and we'd yeah. need at least like one every two scenes yeah. so it did feel quite at odds with the kind of you know it would be you know they'd be fighting for their lives and then they'd be like doing a little snappy bit of dialogue uh, with the cat so it didn't I, work. I have a slightly different take on this. That actually, I felt, particularly with Brie Larson's character with Captain Marvel, that 
she's not doing the turn to camera wink deliver a, a cheesy line quite often in the oh, middle of a she scene does. she <laughs> not, not anywhere near as much as you see in some of the other marvel movies quite quite often the the joke is done sort of mid punch you know it's it's delivered in a way that that just makes her... oh very comic book kapow type thing. yeah yeah you know it is he's actually emboldening her as a character you know she she doesn't need to to you know stop and deliver the one line she's just getting on with things Are you in love with Brie Larson Oh yeah, that's an entirely separate <laughs> yeah. issue. And if people haven't seen Short Term Twelve, they need to get sure it in their lives. Sure, it is. Uh, but no, I, 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 I love this for Samuel L. Jackson. I love this for Goose the Cat. We yeah, cannot, we haven't actually spoken about anyone else. We cannot <laughs> go through so much mentioning Goose the Cat. Ben Mendelsohn is is actually. What's uh, Annette Benning doing here? She she needs a conservatory. Uh, Annette Benning uh, turns <laughs> turns up repeatedly with funny looking built. eyes. Uh, take on any job. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. We were saying seriously. Uh, we were saying it's, it's, it's a good cast. Um, I, I I do slightly suffer with Jude Law in any film because I just feel he turns it turns up and does basically the same thing. I can't imagine him in this really. He's, he's not he's in the, it all that much. He's, he's the sort of mentor character. And again, okay. there's there's odd things like you get um, uh, Jaman Honsu and uh, Lee Pace, who are in Guardians of the Galaxy, popping up as their characters from that, okay. but set twenty years before. But okay. you, 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 you know, it's it's sort of trying to play to the fanboys, but then nothing is really made any of any substance of the fact you've got these characters. It doesn't play into the, the roles they play in in later films or anything like that. It's just fanboy service, and there's a little bit of that which is is maybe redundant. They could have just had a bit more focus on the story. But I think at the core of this, there is a good solid piece of storytelling which is delivering a female character. The biggest shame is it's taken them 21 films to do it, if you exclude uh, Evangeline Lilly as the Wasp in, in film number 20, who was half the lead character. Um, hopefully, we can now put all this nonsense behind us and have a lovely equal balance of, of <laughs> uh, uh, superheroes of, of different genders and, and races. And, and, yeah, it's Who's... Who's helming the next big one, by the way, that's coming after the dust thing that I saw? It'll be the Russo brothers again. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we have Avengers Endgame uh, April the 25th. Yeah. It's not long to wait. Not okay. long to wait. From there the is... outside, though, it looks to me, because, like, asking who's doing that film, who's in that film, all of these other little ones seem like auditions for various writers and directors and actors to come into the franchise. They're all just a bit like, have a go at this, have a play over here, and we'll see if you can come along and do something in the next big one that we're making for four years. You could see it as that. We, <laughs> we, we have a new, another new face as well. Uh, not a face you'll see on screen, but a face that you will hear. Uh, it's a first female composer in the Marvel Cinematic University, ah. uh, Pina Toprak. She's a Turkish-American. She's done a lot of TV and computer games before. I think this is her first big feature film. It, it's not a soundtrack that will jump out at you straight away, mostly because it suffers a bit from what I call the the Guardian syn syndrome, yeah. where you've got the really nice pop soundtrack in the background, all the classic hits that suit the timeline. Oh, and that's what piques the interest. And then, so it, it's here in this one, and it was poor old Tyler Bates in the Guardians films, where there's like, oh, there was other music as well. Yeah. Oh, nice. But that's you always say to me, that's the set, that's the mark of a good soundtrack. You shouldn't notice it. It is. You're noticing and it. <laughs> I, I kind of I do this whole background thing where my, my brain classifies it for later. And I did notice there is music dropping in and out at all times, particularly during... It's very difficult to hear it, but there's a nice stirring rendition of what I assume is the Captain Marvel theme, but I can't be sure, when right at the end of the film she's like, I now have all the power, and it's all playing in the back, but it's very loud, so you can't actually hear the music that well. So It's I'll not going to win Oscar for sound mixing then, is it? No. I, th I feel like I should rein this in now. 20 minutes is enough, surely, surely. Other things came out in the cinema, but 
I don't have to tell you anything about this. Captain Marvel is playing everywhere and it's already out. So what are we moving on to next? What should we... <gasps> Fighting with my family. Who's seen this one? Is it Lork and Dave and Mark have seen this one? You have to see this one, Rosie. You like will to. love it. I would like to. Even if you're not a fan, here's the trailer for great. Fighting with my family. Good morning, wrestling nerds. Well, this is where we see whether or not you get to go on to WWE. This is our shot, Zach. Hello. If I call your name, that means you'll be coming with me to Florida. Paige. Thank you all very much. You have to take my brother. No one deserves this more than Zach. I wish you the best, son. But this is the end of the line for you. Do you know what it's like to want one thing in life? And then your own sister takes it away from you. It was my dream, too. I have no idea who I'm supposed to be out there. You're not just doing this for you. You're doing it for the family. Paige, I myself have come from a wrestling family too. I know exactly what it means to you. But don't worry about being the next me. Be the first you. Fighting with my family, bang up to date with the WWE as we know it today. Written and directed by Stephen Merchant, off of The Office and all of that stuff. Produced by Dwayne Johnson, who met Paige, obviously, when she was going through NXT. He has a cameo in this, as does Stephen Merchant. And we've got Lena Headey and Vince Vaughn in this as well. And Florence Pugh in the lead role. But to start with, Mark... You're our sort of biggest WWE or wrestling fan back to the 70s and the 80s. Is this a good nostalgia fest? Has it destroyed all that you hold dear? Well, you see, I, <laughs> I came to this from, from, from two angles because I wouldn't say I'm a, a fan at all of, of WWE or, or WWF as it was probably called about the time. It was WWF in the night, up to uh, the 90s. Yes, until, until the World Wildlife <laughs> Fund stormed in and, and yes. had their way. Uh, <laughs> Pandas I, only. Yeah, so I've, I've, I've never really engaged with, with WWE, so I, I, I was a little bit nervous coming to this film that I might need either backstory, knowledge, or a, a passion for this kind of wrestling <laughs> to enjoy the film. What I did watch a lot of growing up, because uh, my grandma who lived with us was so into it, would scream at the TV in the late 70s and, and 80s that the, the big daddy in giant haystack kind of you know, ill-fitting leotard men that clearly just eaten too much and threw each other around a ring. So that's the first of half of this film. And this, yeah, it is, it is based on a true story. It is uh, set in Norwich and I get one of those lovely geeky moments because I've been to Norwich shopping mm-hmm. and singing and doing other things and you go, oh, it's Norwich Market. Uh, when they're or Norwich, England, as they say when they announce Paige, which Nor- is cute as. Normal for Norfolk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought I'm going to get in trouble for that. Apologies to anyone from... from that was my American Norfolk. accent, so don't tell me off. I love Norfolk, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so it is. It is a family of wrestlers. Uh, the the mum and dad, played by Nick Frost and Lynn Hedy, mm-hmm. uh, have, have basically tried, used wrestling to try and put apart their their troubles in life and, and try and find something to focus on as a family. Uh, Florence Pugh, the daughter, is just not into it. She has to be coerced really mm. into to taking part. Um, but that real vibe of them in a dusty ring in a tiny little hall in Norwich, lobbing each other around a ring and and uh, being completely theatrical, that took me back to that that. Yeah, the big Hattie Giant Haystacks kind of wrestling of the 70s and 80s. And instantly I was then hooked into what they were trying to do. 
but then you start to see the training montage of them getting the, the local kids off the council estates and bringing them in and mm-hmm. uh, trying to, to motivate them and give them something to work on as well. So you've got two threads within the film. You've got following Paige, played by Florence Pugh, as she goes through the, the audition process of WWE, but also NXT then... NXT over in sunny Florida, yeah. Uh, her, her brother, who, who fails the audition, and he then has to come to terms with the fact he's never going to make it in the same way that, that she could potentially, uh, and has to deal with life back facing the, the drudgery of the, the dusty ring in Norfolk. Yeah, that's one of the the favourite things I like. I wasn't expecting much out of Stephen Merchant as a director, but I loved the way this was directed. I'm not sure if it was maybe looking back on it, it's perhaps a bit on the nose, but you do have these two parallel storylines and you can see Paige over in NXT having all her Hollywood dreams fulfilled, even though she's in Florida, but dripping in sunshine and palm trees and framed by the new privilege she has. And we cut back to her brother and he's framed by the poverty he's stuck in. It's grey, it's concrete, it's rainy. But did you get the sense that it was a bit obvious do you think that these two lives were going separately and it's money and fame that does that or was that I mean when I was watching it and those scenes were happening what I was picking up more than anything was the way they shot it illustrated the loneliness that both of them were suddenly experiencing because they were separated from each other you know it's like you say Paige is there she's got all the equipment you know she's staying in a lovely hotel and everything but she was so isolated and you know she clearly at some point you know there's hints that she just wants to give up and go home because it's the life she knows you know and it's a difficult life for her to live but she's been living it so long she doesn't know that it's a difficult life and she's finding this isolation far more difficult whereas Jack Loudon's character uh, her brother is Zach he's kind of just had his dreams literally crushed and kicked to the side and you know he's got the pressures of everyday life which are driving him into isolation because he he doesn't know how to deal with it he does resent her as well which he you know he says he'd never do but it it's the kind of thing where it's like of course he's going to you know he's he knows it was never her dream to start with and she's got it and he hasn't and how in the world is this fair and the way they portray that and then the eventual kind of conflict between the two of them was really nicely done but it finishes you know they talk and they actually talk it out like a proper family does and it kind of does the dual meaning on the film when it's fighting with my family so they're fights (laughs) against each other but it's also bonding together to get across you know the good positive message of being a family and you know I thought it was brilliant I thought it was lovely. The American in the room. Hi. (laughs) What I loved about this, I know it's um, Stephen Merchant has written it, but I thought all the rocks producing it, it, they're going to have to shop it to a load of WWE fans across the pond. But it's such British humour. It's the most kooky British humour I've seen, even on TV for a long time. It's the funny old parents that don't quite get along. And it's quite sweary, but middle-classy sweary um but so did and that really sorry go on they they, they did oh Stephen merchant did uh, completely the correct way where instead of trying to pander it to a wider audience outside of uh the uk he made a film that um is very relevant to the uk and will certainly strike a chord with uk audiences but doing that so well that hopefully it'll translate across the pond which is yeah. the correct way to do these kinds of stories mm-hmm. i was really worried going into the film i thought it was going to be uh, sappy, sanctimonious, and manipulative, just from what I saw of the promotional material. Uh, and I was very 
uh, surprised, pleasantly surprised, um, to see that it was incredibly well cast. All performances are fantastic. Um, I'll go see anything Lena Headey is, Lena Headey is in, which I didn't realize she was in this. Um, and, and you don't really realize it's her. She's so good in she's this. She's so good. Um, so good. Um, and it's it's just genuinely heartwarming and real. You can tell that Stephen Merchant has an affinity for this family, and he really wanted to tell the story as best as he could. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the humor works, um, and yeah, like like they were saying, it's the story might be the story might be a bit um, by the numbers, or like maybe we've seen this before, but it's all about how you deliver that story through the characters and through the filmmaking. And so, I was surprised at how strong uh, Stephen Merchant's kind of film. Uh, film language, filmmaking language was, yeah. and how clear it came across, and how clear everything was. Um, and it was nice to see just kind of The Rock and taking like a back a back seat and just kind of being there just to help push the film forward, yeah. give it a bit of a wider release, and but, but very much letting the story unfold naturally is the way Stephen Merchant presumably wanted it to. I think the the real joy of this for me is you've actually got two films that are both classic staples. You've got the the Norwich Three, which is it almost has a kind of goes a full Monty vibe of that working class British. It really does, and I love it for that. There is a huge ragtag cast um, back in the Norwich um, part of this film. I loved it. And then you've got the American side of it with 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 Page's Journey, which is the classic sports it's, movie. It's Cinderella sports, yeah. And we always know what we're going to get from a sports movie. And we need those things from a sports movie. We need it to deliver the catharsis at the end of of the the victory. I know. Well, to, yeah. to say that because it's based on a true story and, and people will watch that match it. live incred okay. <laughs> so but the, I think the joy of it is that it takes those two completely disparate stories and it joins them together so well that if you if you're only used to one of those kind of stories you will buy into the other one yeah. and it is it is it's not as funny as I would have expected but it is heartfelt it's emotional it's it's triumphant uh, and I did not expect it to love as, as much as I did I've, I've spoken to so many people who've dragged others along who have no knowledge of the WWE don't even care and they really enjoyed it as well because it is such a good story with great characters and we haven't spoken about the main character so Vince Vaughn is the lead in this film behind the family really as the coach who makes Paige famous I can't say his nickname but his nickname alludes to the fact that (laughs) he makes people famous very quickly but that was did we think that was great casting did we warm to Vince Vaughn's character because I loved this guy but I kind of knew who he was beforehand reminded me a lot of his character almost from Dodgeball. He's so it's, dodgeball in this. Except with like an, an edge of cynicism. So if that gym owner run. became like a millionaire gym franchise owner, that's what he would be right now. Yeah, <laughs> and he'd still be nicer than Ben Stiller's character in that movie. So, you know, this is my movie. It, his story was actually really quite nice because you, you get his story in Dribs and Drabs. He's there as the voice of authority, you know, and he's teaching and training everyone. It's not just the physical training. He, he teaches them how to banter back and forth in the ring to give themselves a presence. Yeah. And a lot of it drives from the fact that he's been on the same journey uh, and he's not made it, but mm-hmm. he knows how to help them, how to build yeah. people up. Even if he does it in some of the kind of most destructive ways possible, which is like encouraging them to quit, taunting yeah. them at all times. And I both felt myself, I was like loving and hating him in some instances. It was like, you're doing this really, really well, but I don't like you very much. Oh, you've turned it around. Well done. I applaud this. <laughs> it's a really nice inside look into how WWE works as well, because even if you're not that big of a fan, you'll have some kind of preconceptions like oh it's all fake all this that and the other and they don't hide what is fake and what is 
made up and what is real, but they really lay it on the line and say, yeah, we teach you to do this, we give you these lines, we give you this character, change your name, we've already got one of those. And but both, both inside and outside the ring, they set up the stakes like very much, very well, like, and they kind of sell, they try, they try to come straight up about the, pe- the types of people that do this activity and what stakes are, what, what the stakes are, and then if, and why people are, with the stakes outside of that that drive people to do this kind of thing. Uh, and just to mention the um, the subplot with Vince Vaughn is like a perfect use of a subplot, which like it keeps the momentum going throughout the middle of the film, and then, and then it, it, it ties back into the main character. Knocked down by Beautiful. the rock right at the end. I loved it. It was brilliant. Does Vince Vaughn ever play a different character? Ooh. I'm sorry. Go on, Rosie. Sorry, this is completely unrelated, but <laughs> I'm just. Has anyone ever seen Vince Vaughn play a different character to the character you're basically just describing? Hang on. Yeah, We're going to get this. I think, I think I have, but I don't enjoy it as much as seeing Vince Vaughn play <laughs> Vince Vaughn. Which I think he plays himself very well. It's Sorry, the, it's it, a bit of a sideline. It just made me think about it, because I was like, I don't think I've ever seen... I always enjoy him, but he always basically plays the same character. Which he is, is the, character. the loveliest version of himself in this Is day. he? Okay. You will love him, because he's not too soppy, obvious, dodgeball Vince Vaughn. We've got, is dodgeball like 15 years old now? It can't be, maybe 10. It is 15, 15. years old. <gasps> the first time I ever saw seven films in a cinema in one day was in 2004, and the first of those seven was <laughs> Dodgeball. Uh, so, yeah, that was, a, that was a landmark day for me. So this is Dodgeball with 15 years of experience on top of it. Okay. And we've also seen what happens with True Detective Season 2, what happens to Vince Vaughn whenever he breaks character. True. <laughs> or breaks type, even. Whenever more, he breaks his own type. More Vince Vaughn films to allow Vince Vaughn to be Vince Vaughn. That's the campaign starts here. Just be yourself, be the best guys. Vince Vaughn you can be. But, yeah, I think... The, the general consensus of this is everyone was is pleasantly surprised if you weren't expecting to enjoy it and I was worried that I wouldn't like it because it is one of my favourite wrestlers and I do love WWE and I still loved it and if you were really well you have to stick around for the end credits um, there's lots of lovely true life bits on that and I still haven't managed to find the documentary I'm sure I see a little clip of a documentary at some point in the end credits and I'm trying to find it somewhere so if anyone knows where I can watch that tell me where you can watch that but Fighting With My Family is out now it's showing at The View and The Light in Town and all the surrounding Cineworlds definitely go along and have a look at that we're going to move on now to oh I can't I can't do the aftermath yet I'm not ready for it We'll give Kira as many minutes of we have as we have left. Should we move on to the Netflix film, everyone? I'll play you a trailer for the boy who harnessed the wind, and then we'll chat about this new Netflix release. The rains came late this year, and now the trees have gone. Malawi is preparing for a very long hungry season. What are you going to do? Anything new? It's a pump. Can you fix it? Maybe. Mr. Kachibunda, when you turn the wheel on your bike, the light shines. How? It's magnets. I can bring water. And deliver the cool water. So surprisingly straight to Netflix for this. Super lovely story, but we were just discussing off-air before we started the whole show, Netflix and Amazon and Curzon and everyone are getting 
bigger and better film, so it's perhaps not as surprising as it would have been a few years ago. But it's tell us what it's about, Rosie. And it is just a simple, sweet. It's, well, it's yeah. not sweet all the way through, but just a simple great story it's a really inspirational true story um so it's about a young boy uh, growing up in rural malawi and um the challenges that his family face living very close to poverty um and they're very affected by nature by the weather around them and by the lack of rain um and he is incredibly smart he's um struggling to stay in school because his family can't afford to keep sending him there um but he learns through sneaking into the library so i mean it's a real it's an incredibly powerful powerful story about education actually and mm-hmm. um you know just how even the tiniest bit of education can make a huge difference yeah. to someone's life and he comes up with this incredible solution um using just his his skills and junk he finds around him and but it tells a really kind of it's just it's a simple story a very beautifully told and incredibly beautifully shot i mean that's one of the things I found really powerful about it is um, how evocative it is. It's just he, I think. So it's uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor who is the director, and I think you were saying earlier he wrote the screenplay for this. Because yeah. I think it's based on a book. Uh, mean, yeah, by the lead story. character. So yeah, William right. Kamkwamba wrote a book about his own yeah. life. Yeah, and uh, he just it, the way it's shot. It just it's so beautiful that the kind of the natural world is just allowed to sing in the same way that all the characters are. Um, and it reminded me a lot of like, proper good westerns because yeah. that's what you focused on. The like landscape. You have the big panning... Yeah, yeah of the, the panning. Yeah, you're right, yeah. And it's really... It's it's bleak and it's dangerous and that's what they were trying to say in, in yeah. the westerns. So, and that yeah. this is bleak and dangerous for them in so many ways, isn't it? But it's very raw and beautiful at the same yeah. time. And um, yeah, and I thought the central performance from, I think his name is Maxwell Simba as William, the, the main character, yeah. um, the central protagonist, was just perfect, spot on, very, very naturalistic. Yeah. He, you know, he could do the tiniest little expression with his eyes and it was just yeah. really moving. Because like um, you said, it's the, it's the power of education, but this guy on his own must have been a, a quiet genius and we'd never have known if he wasn't given access to books and the determination and the resilience and you totally absolutely. see that behind his eyes. Yeah, He's a really wonderful actor. And we also have Chiwetel Ejiofor acting as his dad. He also wrote and directed the film, as you said. Big smile from Dave there. So he liked Chiwetel in this. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and he, I mean, he's just one of my favourite people in general. Really. Oh, I've good seen choice. Him in so many. <laughs> I, I've, you know, the first film I really remember him is the old Joss Whedon Serenity film where he turns up as the bad guy, and it's like, this is the best bad guy ever. I want him to win. Um, in this, of course, he's <laughs> much more grounded in this. So uh, the the story here is that the the family they've lost a lot of the land and they they know almost in advance that they're going to be suffering a really bad hunger season because they've lost the trees that protect the earth and stop the floods from wrecking the ground and he his father is you know he's quite traditional in his mindset and the way he's going forward and Chivatelli Giofa just brings such power to the character not only in the way he's portraying him but the way he's interacting with the other people and you know, to look at Maxwell Simba again, there's one scene where the two of them are having a proper argument and he really holds his own because Chiwetel Ejiofor, he can portray such power and Maxwell Simba's lying on the ground just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> pulling faces, which doesn't help. The, but the, you it was can a good see face, the, everyone. It was, you can it was see the same the face. struggle between them <laughs> and, you know, and the fact that he can hold his own against, you know, quite, you know an older actor, more experienced actor... This is the first thing Maxwell's ever done. He's never acted. Absolute volumes what he did. And I was impressed throughout the entire film. 
I just couldn't, you know, stop watching. It was great. It was super lovely. And Mark, it's we keep saying how lovely the film is, what a powerful story. But there are moments of abject terror and deep sadness and horror. At, does that sit well against the joyful moments? Because this is one of the saddest, most stressful films I've seen recently as well. I mean, it certainly doesn't sugarcoat anything. You, you really get the feel you've had a, a, a taste of what that experience is like. I, I think it's one that, that you know, will have parallels for people in this country, the, the time of austerity we're living in. You know, this is ultimately the story of a kid whose parents can't afford to send him to school and are struggling, and, and I think that will strike a chord with an awful lot of people these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just basically trying to get an education. But it, it does. I, I was a little unprepared for the first time when there's a real moment of, of violence. I sort of had the, the Anchorman meme, that escalated quickly, will... Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of going, out of nowhere, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's probably the, the power of it, that you, you don't see it coming. And from that point, the film does does have a little bit of a, a darker mood to it for a while. Mm. Um, and we, we really sort of seeing the struggle. But also, it doesn't give you easy resolution to the character conflict. I, th- I also had the feeling towards the, the last third of the film, there are moments when, when uh, characters are coming into conflict in a, a, a different kind of film. They'd have made it up and moved on at that point, but actually this is the real tensions life. continue, yeah. yeah, and and clearly a reflection of how things actually played out. Uh, so yeah, it, it is it is a really strong character drama, and and not afraid to let people get in there and butt heads against each other, either on the large scale or or in those small intimate moments. I think living in in the Western world as well, mm-hmm. we don't day to day we don't experience so much connection with nature we're not so reliant on the things around us and actually it really takes you out of yourself just to see people living in a place where the elements are so integral to their daily lives and, and how i much i think water changes your life yeah every, just the tiniest thing water wind trees soil mm. and um i thought that partly the way he shot those kind of elements really brought that to the surface it really made it so quite powerful yeah th- this is the life and death element that you're looking yeah. at in this film it's also quite inspiring as well from a from a scientific point of view because this is a boy who's who's looked at this yes, and gone, oh, how we can I even mentioned. pick this apart? How does it work? What can I do with it? The, the 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 fact he's not able to afford an education or his family aren't isn't an obstacle or a barrier to him trying to push his own learning. So he you just know, has I, that Mozart yeah. brain sat there unused and thank yeah. God he did. I, I had a, a mechanical alarm clock when I was a kid which I took apart, realised I couldn't put it back together and that was the end of my ability to try and build anything. <laughs> just gave up, yeah. It would have been a beautiful film. This, 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 this film about me is a short film, it's about three minutes. Um, and it's the end of my scientific career. But, but you know, he, I think it's potentially an inspiration to, to any young people watching this. Who so want to think, yeah, much so. I don't want to ruin so the much. end. There's, there's a lovely bit at the end where, again, we cut to um, William Kamkwamba in real life. Um, I don't think he's receiving... He goes on to do great things. I don't think he's receiving one of the many accolades he's since received, but he's, he's being interviewed somewhere else and just explains quite matter-of-factly why he bothered to have a go at this and I think we're lacking that kind of resilience a lot around these days too we've got we're running out of time massively I, but go I, on I was just going to briefly say I don't think it's a spoiler because it's called the boy who harnessed the wind not the boy who tried to harness the wind well yeah <laughs> he builds dead good windmills and then water, water comes great <laughs> but no do stay tuned for the the final um, line delivered at the end by the real William during the credits and it, it really encapsulates so simply his entire personality I think and just and really the humility behind what he did um, so that was The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. That's on Netflix now, so you can just have a quick watch of that whenever you want. And it's super lovely. Now I'm afraid it's gear time. Here's a trailer. I'll try and be good. 
did you ever hope for a German victory? Did the bombing affect the health of you and your family? It affected the health of my wife. She died in the firestorm. I'm so sorry. You didn't tell me what I was walking into. This isn't how it was supposed to be. None of this is how it is supposed to be. Please don't go. I have a job to do. If you're going to spy on a girl, the least you could do is pay her a compliment. Yes, of course. It's a new beginnings. So, I'm not going to say much here, Lorcan, because everyone knows what I'm going to say. What are the good points of the aftermath? Well, first, tell us what it's about, and then tell us the good bits. I guess I get the dregs. So you don't get to talk about Kira, I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> so the, the film is basically um, uh, a British colonel, uh, played by Jason Clark, uh, is uh, put in charge of reconstructing Hamburg after World War II. Uh, he says early on in the film that uh, Hamburg received more bombs during the war than uh, all of England during the Blitz. Um, and he invites his wife, Keira Knightley, uh, to stay with him in a manor overlooking the city. Um, and he doesn't tell her that he'll they'll be sharing the house with the previous tenant, played by uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Um, and so the film's basically uh, dealing with the moral dilemma of now being the invaders pressing upon uh, the poor residents of a a ruined town who have lost the war um, and Kira Knightley's basically trying to put it straight in her head how she feels about it um, it's revealed that she's her personal life has been seriously affected by wo- the war and obviously the people that uh, she's living with now um, have been negatively affected and they're just kind of miserable um, And uh, but what the film ends up becoming is basically it's it's it feels like it was written by a naughty grandma it feels like a romance. I novel. love this. You can just get away like, with anything in your accent. Just, <laughs> it's a, it's a cheek. Like a Mills and Boone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a che- like a cheeky little romance novel. Um, I, I get and, that from the trailer. Actually, it's just it's it's a lot of lustful looks and a lot of embraces. It's very and, much building up to the eroticism. Right. And then, I okay. mean, the eroticism's well done. I, I can mm-hmm. I have a suspicion why. Even with Kira. Uh, She's I, like a dry, thing, wet, only... a dry and wet fish. Dry, wet fish. That's well... how bad the dry... <laughs> <laughs> um, Burn. Burn. Uh, while, I, while I didn't mind Keira Knightley and Colette, I, I don't think her, her performance is probably the least um, believable. Um, but whenever whenever her and Skarsgård do have some chemistry and I have a suspicion that's probably how the film came about, those two wanted to kind of come together and have like a, a romance ah. movie. And you can tell those 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 bits are by far the most interesting and well-filmed bits, uh, which is why I said it, it feels like it was filmed like a naughty grandma, like she just wanted to, the, 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 someone just wanted just to wanted film to look bits, at those two lovelies. But, um, <laughs> Have we totally wasted Jason Clark then? Uh, Jason Clark's fine, but he's very, he's very much on the sidelines, like he's, okay. he's effectively there to be the husband that gets cheated on. Okay. Um, but there, there are, I mean, there's, there are nuggets here that could have been a good movie, and the, the whole concept of like, feeling like you're now the invader now that you've won and like should you hate these people that uh, you were fighting against but now they're just kind of miserable and living in like homes with walls blasted through um, and there's a lot of like they did, they, there's some like element of research like it explores like 
um, the dying Nazis, like people who still were trying to like sabotage the British afterwards. They have like 88 like uh, branded onto their arm, and that's like right. H. H. Heil Hitler, okay. something like that. So like there is a amount of research, and there's some interesting elements, but it's it's spectacularly boring. And, <laughs> uh, there's a, there's an entire subplot that goes absolutely nowhere. It feels like it's it's absolutely just it's just absolutely padding. Um, I, it's, it's just it's, it's a firm no from Lorcan. Oh, well, if it's, it's if it's, I mean, is it nice for some kind of audience? Maybe just a, I, a nice Sunday afternoony thing if you don't fancy Captain Marvel or it's a Randy Grandma movie. Randy Grandma <laughs> movie. Well, okay. Randy grandmas can see it everywhere in town. Only once a day, though, so I'm guessing that's that says everything when it comes to how much this is selling out or otherwise. It's on at the View Light and the Picture House, but only once per day. That's Aftermath. So for the final 10 minutes, um, a few of them, them, <laughs> a few of these lot, wanted to mention especially Border, which is the music you can hear in the background. That came out with the Cambridge Film Festival just gone last autumn, and it's now back in the Arts Picture House once a day for perhaps a week or so, looking at Lorcan, probably at least a week or so, yeah. Yeah. So, Border's an odd one. Who wants to try and explain the plot without too many spoilers for this? As a card-carrying odd one myself, I will give this a go. Uh, it follows the story of Tina, who is a customs officer, and she's a very successful customs officer. Uh, and we gradually start to see why, because she has a, a, an innate ability to be able to smell people's guilt or detect it so people are coming through with with dodgy um sim cards with with unfortunate images on and things like that and she can just tell by by being in their presence that they they're carrying these things and she has a slightly unusual appearance uh it's not really sort of facial disfigurement but she, she's clearly a little bit different to, to the average person and then she sees someone else who has that similar facial appearance come through customs one day and, and then starts to, to meet him and, and try and understand and then a whole host of things from her family past and history start to come out uh, it's uh, based on a short story written by um, John Avida Lindqvist do you know I spent 20 minutes googling that in amongst other people reviewing it still didn't work out how to pronounce it people will know him because he, he also wrote the, the work which let the right one in and the American remake Ooh. let me in was, was based on and it's very I want to see this now. That's very creepy. much that kind of uh, vibe of the of the outsider. It's very much one of those. You know, this this is an outsider that we're getting to understand and to, getting to explore. It's it's a little bit folktale and fairy tale and just very unusual. And that that is a big tick box for me. Okay, Toki. Okay. So, Lorcan, did you find this at the film festival? Is that where you first came across? Oh no, this? I caught it. You it's caught an, it at it's Picture House, yeah. Uh, starting yesterday, yeah. Ah. I caught it last yesterday evening. Um, I I loved I love seeing unusual stories like this i love seeing something fresh and original feeling uh, uh get a relatively wide theatrical release um i thought the most noteworthy thing of the film i think is are the performances the performances are very brave and i believe the film got an oscar nomination for best for makeup, makeup and hair did yeah. not win um Ooh. <laughs> should have won what did win? Was it Mary Queen of Scots? Uh, it was Vice. The, the one oh, really? Oh, and, and the speech they gave was... was the Oscars this year was just six hours of disappointment, but moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, the thing the thing that took me out of the film was uh, the, the filmmaking style. 
Um, and it reminded me a lot of a film that came out, an absolute gem that came out a couple of years ago called uh, Good Manners, which is about a uh, woman who falls in love with a another woman who's pregnant, and that woman turns out to be a werewolf. Um, and the film does the correct choice in that in that case of having uh, fantastical characters in a mundane setting, but they film it fantastically. There's lots of like mood lighting, and the shots are very kind of the shots are very cinematic. This film, uh, you've got uh, kind of fantastical characters without going too much into it, um, who are in mundane situations with mundane characters, and it's filmed like a mundane character drama, which for me was kind of like a double negative, and oh. at times just came across as just kind of dull and boring. Whereas like if you if you have these kind of sad everyday characters and film it as if you're watching like a fantasy movie or like fantastical elements in these settings, I think it would have been much more interesting, and uh, that that effort would have really shone th- shone through. So it just fell slightly flat of the the fantastical otherworldliness that you were hoping for? From me, yeah. Okay. I, I think it's the same thing what I would uh, christen Roma syndrome here. I, I've spoken to so many oh. people who saw Roma on Netflix and didn't enjoy it at all. Didn't they, get they, it. Didn't invest in it's it. It's been and hyped. I went to London and saw it at the, at the Curzon Cinema down there and and completely immersed myself in it. And I, I've, I've done this with other films before. I've, I've had the experience that, that you just sometimes have to be in the cinema so you can just lose yourself in it. I can't guarantee it with this because this, I think, it, to call it glacially paced would be generous for this film. It is. <laughs> it, it, it moves at, at literally the speed of a glacier. So that is why I think you need to go and see it in the cinema and, and give yourself over to it if you've got any okay. chance of, of, of giving yourself to it. There are just probably one or two shots towards the very end of the film that actually drift into that sort of magical uh, mood. But you have to you have to be prepared to wait for them. Um, but yeah, it is. I, I I love the sort of character insight to it. I love that it didn't rush. I love that it's got a sort of hard social edge just drifting around the periphery of it, and you know it's not afraid to have some very dark moments. Uh, and you know it, it goes to some unusual places. But in the same way as, as let the right one in, it, it it's just got a sense of weirdness bubbling underneath, and I really enjoyed that. Mm, I missed that at the Cambridge Film Festival, so I might give that a go. That's Border. It's on at the Arts Picture House um, just once a day, but every day at the moment so give that a try behind us now as we say goodbye to another Bums on Seats show for another two weeks you can hear music from Free Solo which Dave reviewer today really liked Um, I don't think I'd be able and Mark I don't think I'd be able to watch it documentary about very high up stuff Um, (laughs) it's at the light cinema twice a day at the moment if you've not seen it so give that a go Thanks again for joining us on Bums on Seats. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Um, if you're watch- listening to this on Sunday, um, we'll be on from two till three for you. But if you miss both or if you've missed any little bits, then you can find us on iTunes. The podcast comes out probably around Tuesday every week. And if you disagree with anything we've said or you have your own ideas, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram now. On Twitter, there's it's bums underscore on underscore seats facebook just bums on seats it's fine so do follow us and leave us your own thoughts about the films that we've talked about today we've had mark with us today 
Thank you very much. And Dave. Thank you. And Lorcan. Thank you. And Rosie. Thanks, bye. And so thank you to all of us for listening, and we hope to see you in two weeks' time for another Bums on Seats. I will leave you with some more beautiful music from Free Solo, which, as I said, you can see at the Light Cinema twice a day. Thank you.